0: In this fourth and final talk for Lent 2019, Bishop Greg Homerming asks, Who is Jesus? What is his relationship to himself? And how does that help in our relationship to him? In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus holy mary mother of god pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death amen mary queen of carmel saint Teresa. saint john of the cross father son and holy spirit well i'm quite pleased because this is our last talk for this year so i don't have to think about these things for about another 12 months and i managed to get to the last talk Somehow you managed to get here too, I don't know how, but you're still there. Just to remind you, because if you have been following me, there's a line of thought running through all the talks. And to remind you of what they are, so as you begin to see where we're ending this evening. We began by saying that this is about Beginning to find the place of Jesus in our lives to meet him to understand him in such a way as to Be able to do what st. Teresa says and I spoke of this only the last time I spoke of this was at our first session That to know Jesus is to know myself Until I know him I will never know myself And only by knowing myself will I know who he is and hopefully this evening we will bring all the things together but we began by saying any christian must begin from the context that they're in not from a theoretical position not from a theological sociological moral position we, we must begin where we are and we began where we were at the beginning of the first talk by saying where we are is we're suffering because of all that's happened in the church and our first talk began almost directly after the sentencing of Cardinal Pell that's where we are and as I said to you we have to begin where we are and, and say well that's where we must begin our prayer when you go to pray you don't go into a vacuum sealed place kind of hermetically divorced from the rest of the world, that's not prayer. Prayer is me praying. And as I said, we all gathered together at the beginning of our sessions, carrying the heavy burden, as every other member of the church was carrying a certain burden, and we still are. And it's correct to carry that burden. And I said, the question that we must ask is, where is God in the midst of this? that is always the question where is God because until I can find God everything is just agendas trying to organize things they're kind of attempts at controlling things it's what I was saying to a man that came to see me today no no you must find God in your life now rather than say what am I to do until you can find God in your life, you will never know what to do. But if you can find God in your life, you will always know what to do. Because God has a, a reason for each of us. So the question we began with when we were looking at the situation is where is God? And that became, that unfolded on the first evening as, for us as Christians, is not simply where is God. For God is present for us in his son, Jesus Christ. And that is the fundamental manner of the presence of God in the world is in his son, Jesus Christ. So that question very quickly became in our first evening, where is Jesus Christ in the midst of this? And I said to you to identify where he is, know the gospel. And to try to situate where you are in the gospel in our Lord's experience. So that if you can identify and find his experience, you can now relate it to yours and know where you are in the midst of this context. Then you have the beginnings of a way to move through and the beginnings of a way to pray. We gathered together in the second evening and we had to take it one step further. And the next step that we took was not simply where is Jesus Christ in the midst of this but in the midst of where we are then is where I meet Jesus Christ and so we took the next step which was to consider Jesus's relations with other people in order to identify ourselves as one of the people who meets Jesus because that in fact opens up to us a certain aspect of our Lord something of our Lord which we can now begin to experience and understand ourselves okay and so we looked at Jesus as he interacted with other people and hopefully you began to see how you might relate to him because somewhere in the gospel. Is you and when you can identify yourself you can now begin to meet Jesus the only problem with that was that we're starting to unpack things but I still don't know who Jesus is and we began to look at that last week when we looked at Jesus's relationship to his father because in his relationship with his father, his identity is established. Do you not believe that to see me is to see the father? We've got that in chapter 14 of St. John's Gospel. To see me is to see the father. But it's more than that. In his relationship with his father as we saw last week in his being loved into existence by his father he is who he is and we then began to see the important thing and that is how then do i establish my identity because as we see the identity of Jesus emerging we begin to see that in fact it is only love which establishes us and we begin to see, through Jesus Christ, what we must start to do in order to, be, order to be authentically, in an integrated way, who we are. Because, and we spoke about clericism. What is clericism? As I asked the bishops of New South Wales, I said, we talk about it, but I challenge one of you to tell me what it is. Silence. I'll tell you what it is, at least as I think it is, and I could be wrong. It's when you are not living who you are, but what you think you are. So if I think I'm a bishop, that's, what that's how I will live. But that's not who I am, it's what I am. You're, many of you are fathers or mothers. That's not who you are, it's what you are. And when you begin to make your identity from what you are rather than who you are, you have clericism, which everyone's attacking the church for, but it's present in the church as it's present everywhere because it comes from the weakness of the human condition that I I do not trust who I am. I'm afraid of who I am and therefore I cannot be who I am. And Jesus begins his mission after his baptism because he now knows who he is the beloved of the Father and that in fact that identity now brings about in Jesus his mission because my work in fact is what we had in this morning's gospel but as he says in about five of John's gospel my work is to do the will of the Father I do what I see him doing Mission, Christian mission. It is not sitting down and trying to imagine in your mind what you might do. That's daydreaming and not grounded in God. That's what all of the great potentates of the world have done. They've imagined what they could do. And so often God is not behind it. So this identity, which we looked at last time, is so important. And it leads in Jesus to compassion. To be compassionate as your heavenly Father is compassionate. Because I cannot love except if I have the love given to me by God. And then it is not me that loves, but God that loves. This is the compassion of our Lord, which makes it possible for him now to love. So now we move on to our last session this year. And it's to take the next step, which is so important, because without the next step, we've got no idea what we're doing. And it is the bottom line, not what is Jesus, but who is he? And we only know, I only know who you are not by what you do, but through the way in which you relate with yourself. That's where human authenticity is specified and identified. We must now turn to another aspect of Jesus. What is his relationship to himself? Because psychologically, if this is not in place, we have an unbalanced man. We have a person who is at the whim of what's happening, who's at the whim of his next thought, who gets thrown around on turbulent waters. But Jesus was able to walk on turbulent waters, he was able to calm the elements. And now we must turn and see what is his relationship with himself, because until I do that, I will not know how to relate to him. I will not have a relationship with him. And I'm going to turn to two simple things, because if I do any more than two simple things, this will become very heavy, because it's not the kind of stuff that most priests talk about in homilies, unless he's a mad, disgust Carmelite, as your bishop happens to be. Um, and therefore we talk about bizarre things there are two very obvious kind of things that we need to look at in terms of Jesus as he interacts with himself and what do i mean by how do you relate to yourself you struggle with yourself don't you you can often struggle against yourself you can struggle to come to terms with yourself These are very important things. These are things which begin from adolescence onwards. And we do hope that most of this is in place before a man or a woman has turned 50, hopefully well underway by the age of 35, but often not. And unless these parts of who we are are put into the correct place, This man or this woman will be unstable for the rest of their life and hence what happens in Jesus is so important because in many ways it's our only way as Christians living in faith to find the way to be who we are. I'll turn to two easy things first of all and then turn to the difficult things. The difficult ones are his own inner struggles as he struggles with temptation, as he fights against his father and loses the battle because he does his father's will. Do you think it was easy for him to do his father's will? No. We have intimations of it there, of an ongoing struggle with his father from the moment he leaves the desert until he leaves the garden of Gethsemane. It's a story of struggle. It's a story of fighting against his own weaknesses. We don't like to talk about that because it's a bit messy. But as Saint Athanasius and Saint Justin Martyr would say, and in recent times, Saint John of the Cross and Saint Teresa would say, if this is not who Jesus Christ is, then he's no help to me because that's who I am. But let's look at the easy parts first. We can see in this man, as he works within himself, this extraordinary compassion. Because it's not simply when we look at the gospels that he sees a need and goes to meet the need, but there's something in him which is always moving him to that need and so he always speaks about this not always but often speaks about this in terms of his parables you know where does the parable of the good Samaritan come from it comes from the innermost part of Jesus Christ because he's not talking about himself walking down the road and seeing someone in need but he is a man who Is constantly within himself aware of the needs of others this is not the same as what we looked at in our second talk the way he responds to another person but it's the way that he works it out within himself and so we can speak of him as a man of compassion because without meeting a human need, this is the kind of man he is. These are the things we need to know about him. What kind of a man are you? Not what do you do when you meet a need or when you see someone, but I want to know the inside of my friend. I want to know what he's like. Don't you want to know those of you who are married, what your husband or wife is like on the inside? Or do you simply want to be in a predictable stance that if this happens, that's what she's gonna do or what he's going to do? But you do want to know what it's like to be you on the inside. And this is in fact, the most interesting and the most wonderful part of moving into relationship with him. Because why do you want to be his friend because of the kind of person that he is in the hope that by becoming his friend I'll become like him so I just give that to you in passing because I, I want to move on to the more difficult things but unless you give I give you these things you're going to think my gosh the stuff you're giving us is so difficult but these things are beautiful and nice Another one is the extraordinary sense of humor that this man has. Again, this is the man on the inside. OK? Um, we see one part of him. He gets annoyed with people. Um, and when you look at it very carefully, he doesn't get annoyed with people because he feels challenged by them, as we so often do. Someone challenges us, we feel put out by them, so we become disgruntled, brittle, and sometimes quite horrible. Now, when, when we look at him, he comes from another place. He comes from the same kind of place as his compassion. And we see it most of all expressed in his relationship with the Pharisees. And it's not about how he relates to them, more so as we look at what's happening in the Gospel. What's revealed is what's happening at a deeper level in the man, because his relationship with the Pharisees is not about anger or brittleness. I believe it comes from profound disappointment, which means it comes from love, that why can't you see? Why can't you respond? Why can't you see who I am because you already know everything you need to know why can't you take the step you know you unless you see that part of it you you miss all of these interactions with the Pharisees and the scribes it's coming from a disappointment born of love that's the kind of man he is not a man who's tossing someone aside because you're not with me but a man who wishes profoundly that you could be with me. Why? I reckon because he was probably brought up by the Pharisees. I love you. And and we see in that a, a kind of an annoyance born of love, of sadness. And again, it begins to show us who he is, what's happening on the inside we've got that wonderful thing. There's a church built on the road down from from the thing of olives coming down towards Jerusalem. And the church is called Dominus Flavit, which in the Latin from the Vulgate means the Lord cried. How I'd long to gather you as a hen would gather its chickens. But you refused. You know, there's no anger there. There's this immense sorrow from love. Okay, this is again kind of towards the, the inner struggles that Jesus has. So it's not simply a struggle with himself as we're going to see, but it's a struggle that we have of disappointment, of weakness, of ina- an inability to do anything. And you know what I'm talking about, you who are parents. A sadness born of love is something that a parent knows more than anyone else because it's a sadness born of love in the context of an inability to do anything. That's Jesus Christ. And again, that's a way of showing you how As I said what I'm trying to do is to show you how to read the gospel so as to meet Jesus and in meeting him come to know him so that you can walk with him always but we move on now to the more difficult ones which is the way that he in his relationship with himself struggled with himself people would say this is quite shocking that what you're saying that he should struggle with himself but if he doesn't struggle with himself he's of no use to me because i struggle with myself i fight with god and my prayer when i fight with god is that i will lose the fight it's a funny kind of thing kind of it's that that sense that when you fight with God, you fight in order that in the end you will lose. Because if the fight is a fight in prayer, the loss in fact will be a growth in yourself. And in fact, that's part of the struggle that we find in Jesus Christ. And the first struggle happens, I know I spoke about this two years ago, but in case you've forgotten, The first struggle happens in the 40 days in the desert. We're told very powerfully by Luke that he was driven by the spirit into the desert. And notice where it happens. It happens in terms of Saint Mark immediately after he hears the voice of his father. He's driven by the Spirit into the desert, and for some bizarre reason, many people think that he went out there to be tempted. That is stupid, because he himself says that his prayer is, "Lead me not into temptation. And he says to us, pray that you not be led into temptation. So one thing for sure is he didn't go out there thinking, I think it would be nice to have 40 days of temptation. You know, if that's who he is, I'm not going to follow him because he's mad. But we're told by Saint Luke he was driven out by the Spirit. And in Saint Luke's Gospel, what does he mean when he said speaks of the Spirit? The Spirit is love. And that is in fact authentic Trinitarian theology. Love is the relationship which exists between the Father and the Son and is so real that it's God itself who is the Holy Spirit and when there is real love between two human beings that love is as it were tangible, it's not an emotion, it is real and the spirit that drives Jesus into the desert is the love that he has for his Father who he meets in his baptism. And upon going to the desert, he leaves the desert able to say to the father what the father said to him, you are my beloved son, you are my son. There is no one that I love more than you, not even myself. And as he leaves the desert after the temptations, he is able to say, you are my father. And there is no one that I love more than you because you are my beloved. The complementarity of the father and the son in their relationship. The son is the beloved of the father and the father is the son's beloved, which means there is no one that I love more than you. I love you more than my own life. And so we know how the story will end from the moment he leaves the desert. But what is the struggle? The struggle is the temptations given to us. They are three. And you must understand each one according to who you are because in the brilliance of the gospel, each of these temptations will in part be who you are and one of them will be powerfully who you are. There are three. Turn these stones into bread. Jump from the parapet of the temple. Fall down and worship me. As they stand they don't seem like temptations and therefore we must look at them to understand how these temptations reveal to us the inner life of Jesus Christ how these inner moments show me his struggle with himself to be the beloved of the father the first for me is so obvious why would you want to turn this into bread When you're leaving the desert, there's probably a bread shop just around the corner. It's not about hunger. Hunger is never a great temptation, but it's about what he's tempted with. Turn this into bread. What is bread? Give us this day our daily bread. My bread, my food is to do the will of the Father. Do you think this is about bread and fish? Don't you understand what this is about? Bread's so important, all the way through the Gospels. And if you thought that this was about a hungry Jesus, you've never made a connection with the Gospels. Let me tell you what bread is. I'll tell you what it is for Father Bing who's sitting down there hiding behind a pillar. I can see him. So here's the example I'm going to give. Father Bing is Filipino. So when Father Bing was away in Los Angeles for the Catholic school's office, Father Jim, who's not hiding behind a pillar, was delighted because it meant that Leanne, the cook, on the day she was cooked, will cook him potatoes because Father Jim kind of salivates at the smell of a potato. But Father Bing's a Filipino. And Filipinos have rice for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And the very smell of rice for a Filipino makes him feel homesick because rice is home. That's what it is. Rice is what you smell if you were a Korean or a Japanese on a winter's day coming home you walk into your home and you smell rice. And rice will go hand in hand and its smell with family, with life, with the best memories you have. And Jesus has spent 40 days with his Father talking about what we know what they were talking about because after this, He sets about on his mission to go to Jerusalem and die. He knows what it means to love the father. He knows what's ahead of him. And the first thing it means is this, to leave home, to leave Mary, to never go back to your home in Nazareth. We have him going to Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue and before he can go home, He has to run away because they want to kill him. Bread for an Israelite at that time was home. It's what you went home to. It's what you sat around as family sitting on the ground, breaking the bread and dipping it into dishes as they did at the last supper. Life is not life without bread. The family's not the family without bread. His family memories are attached to bread. No, go back to your bread. Go back to the leeks and the garlics of Egypt. No, I don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from my my father's mouth. The struggle the cost of what it meant after 30 years to give up and leave behind everything that he loved, his family, his friends, his place, his mother, everything. If that's not a temptation, I don't know what is because for so many, for so long when I first joined the Carmelites, until at a certain point in my second year of simple vows, I was never ever tempted again to leave the order. But up to then I was always wanting to go home because I didn't want this. But I knew that it was what God wanted. And I lost the fight and Jesus loses the fight. Poor old Father Shabbas over there is probably thinking, I want to go back to India. Well, think of Jesus and lose the fight in the temptations because you belong here in Lismore now. This is your home. We love you. Next temptation, bizarre temptation. Climb to the... It was taken to the top of the temple. Jump. 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 Why would you want to do that? Because the angels will come and hold you up. Why would you want to do that? Except we know that he leaves the desert and nobody knows who he is. Imagine it, there's God walking around Israel and he doesn't walk around and say, I'm God. He walks around unknown, abused, spat upon, disregarded, rejected. Jump from here and everyone will know who you are. How many people want to be recognized? There's a danger in being recognized. I wish I wasn't recognized people want that and even worse people take offense not simply in not being recognized but by in being misunderstood and rejected this is a cost for Jesus as this is a cost for so many people but the reason that Jesus could not succumb to this is because His identity is not grounded in who he thinks he is. His identity is grounded in who God, his Father knows who he is. And again, the struggle with himself. a struggle which arises all the way through. He's being spat upon and whipped. He's being challenged as he's dying on the cross to come down from the cross. And I can. But he has because of his struggle with himself the freedom to die and he's the only one in history that's had that freedom which is why when he says I'm dying he dies into your hands I commend my spirit it's done I've said that many times and I'm still here it just doesn't happen but he's got that and he he comes to that because of the struggle with this temptation every one of these three temptations is an ongoing when you need to work it out yourself as to what you think it is because it is ambiguous enough for everyone to work it out for themselves but you must work it out in such a way that it relates to you The last one, fall down and worship me. Why would you want to fall down and worship the devil with a horn and a pointy tail or whatever the devil looked like, you know? Why would you want to do that? Except if there was something else that you didn't want because he is going to die. He knows that's what he wants. That's what the father wants. Why is he doing that? amongst other reasons, it's because it's what the father wants of him, but why? And the answer on one level is pretty obvious. That's what we believe he died for us. He died for our salvation. He died carrying our sins. we can't escape that truth that one of the reasons for his death was me I don't care about you because I've got no idea as to what it means him to die for you but I know what it means him to die for me and do you think he wants that I think he wants that even less than he wants to leave home even less that he wants to be misunderstood and rejected What he wants, what he doesn't want the most is to be tortured to death. Because like any of us, he fears it. To go and say, I'm going to be tortured to death tomorrow and just walk out of here blithely with happiness would mean I was mad. And he wasn't mad because we see him leading up to the passion crying out oh how i wish this was over take this cup from me but nevertheless let your will be done he's in fact you read that part i think it's chapter 23 or something of saint matthew's gospel and you will find he's praying the first part of the our father we should do that one day to see how in fact when you look at the gospel you will see that he prayed the our father not praying the prayer but the our father expresses his relationship to his father so if you bow down I will give you the whole world then you won't have to die for them because I will with all the other devils leave And it's a temptation which comes back to him in chapter 16 of St. Matthew's Gospel. When telling his disciples, and in the struggle of it with himself, he now begins to share with his friends his inner turmoil and struggle. And Peter gathers the strength to unwittingly speak on behalf of Satan. Lord, this mustn't happen to you. And in fact, he speaks into Jesus' struggle because he doesn't want it to happen. And he immediately recognises that this is all a temptation because in his weakness, Satan now comes back to him. And so he says, get behind me, Satan. He's not talking to Peter. He's talking to Satan. And this, again, is part of his inner struggle. Now, this part that I'm talking about at the moment is so important because you're not human unless you have got these kind of inner struggles. And why is this important? Because it reveals that he shares struggles because he knows I have struggles. And in my struggle, I meet him. I don't meet him in the loaves and the fish. On the Beatitudes or the miracles, because I'm not there. But I meet Him in my struggle with my own temptations because I know we have this in common. This is the one part of the gospel that you share with Him. And it's the one part of the gospel which you will be able to eventually understand. Because your struggle is his struggle. As you struggle, you will come to know who he is. And as you come to know who he is, as you fight with yourself, you'll come to know yourself. And there we begin to see what St. Teresa of Avila knew. and She writes this, In the second section of the interior castles, what we call the second mansions, there's no knowing of Jesus Christ without knowing yourself. And there's no knowing yourself, having self-knowledge without knowing him. And that will only happen where your life and his life intersects. And it doesn't intersect in the miracles or on the walking on the water. But it intersects most profoundly in the way that you understand his struggles because you struggle. And because you begin to understand his, that will be a light on your own soul to understand yourself. As you struggle, your struggle becomes your prayer. Because you do it with him. Otherwise, you will always lose your struggles because strength and willpower is not the Christian way. Weakness is the Christian way. Well, I don't know about the Christian way, I can say the Catholic way and the Orthodox way. The old parts of the church, weakness, because in your weakness, I am strong. That's St. Paul. Okay, the final thing, so in case you've got questions, that I'll turn to is his struggle with his Father. And again, that's important if you ever have struggled with God. And because the time is running out, we see it in the temptations, we see it in the confession of Peter leading to the transfiguration because the transfiguration is the resolution of a struggle. Why does he look brighter than the whitest thing you can have? Because in his struggle, as he goes to the mountain to pray, he encounters at the depth of his soul his father. He doesn't see his brilliance. The others see it because in the struggle with God, we begin to experience the goodness of God. He struggles on from there and we see it in so many ways in the way that he talks with people. You know, it, 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 this struggle remains with him. It never, I don't think it goes away until he dies because we hear it in in the Beatitudes, we hear it in the parables, we hear it in the way that he speaks to others. I mean, one of the struggles, you have to leave home. You want to follow me. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. Do you hear the struggle, the the poignancy of the inner sadness of Jesus? that he carries all the way to the cross. And again and again, it comes up and up and up again. We have it at those high points in the whole of the Passion. He takes, he he goes to the garden. This is just prior to the betrayal to pray. And this was his common way. And he takes Peter, James and John and goes a little further into the garden to pray. He obviously often went with them because that's what happened at the Transfiguration. It wasn't a raffle, you three will come with me. No, he often went with those three. Um, And you can see why, because they're in fact the most significant of the apostles. He goes in further and he steps aside from them. They're struggling to keep awake. And in their presence, he falls to the ground in anguish fighting with his father oh father take this away from me i don't want it if that's not a struggle with his father god i don't know what is and how long does that take as it's read out he falls into the ground and says sweating blood take this from me i don't want it but if it's your will let it be done I reckon that took at least an hour to take place. As he fell to the ground, almost now without energy, probably in tears and anguish, in absolute fear and said so many times, don't, I don't want it. Do you hear the, the fighting? It's not, you know, one sentence. As I said to you before, probably last year, introduce the time factor into the gospel. Otherwise, you never know what's happening. Because you can read the whole year, whole three years in one sitting. That's three years gone like that. And he falls to the ground. And what happens between him and his father? And in the end, he says... If you won't take the cup from me, let your will be done. And he gets up and goes out to be betrayed. Do do, do you recognize what's happening? And these two things are about how he's relating internally, how he's relating to himself. And that is where you will begin now to meet and understand and come to know Jesus Christ. Because he's not a religious figure. Jesus Christ is me. And who am I? I am Jesus Christ. You must be able to say that if you truly want to be a Christian, a Catholic. Who am I? I am Christ. Who is he? He is me. Because he and I are one. And it's only in this last thing that I'm giving you, because everything we were doing was directed in these four sessions to this moment. Strive that you are at one with him. And never let anything make you deviate from that. Pride will take you away from it. Self-pity will take you away from it. The ways of the world and what it says is justice will take you away from it. Listening to what people are saying, no, you listen to God. And focus on that alone. Then if you do that, next year we can come back and talk about something else which will take you one more step in the spiritual life. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and thank you for your patience. Thank you for turning up. I was was always hoping I'd come back and find there was nobody here, but the problem was I knew that um, John Devoy and, uh, Joe Pereira would always be there because they were doing something else. But thank you for coming and we'll see you next year. Um, Walking down here, I had an inspired thought as to what I might do next year. But by the time I arrived here, because I had to go back and pick up my Bible, I forgot. So there we go. So let's see what happens next year. Thank you. And the important thing is Come to the Triduum, which is Holy Thursday evening, the three o'clock liturgy, and the Easter vigil. They together make one liturgy. So if you go to one part and go to the other two, it's like coming to one third of a Mass on Sunday. They make up one moment of relationship with Jesus Christ and the teaching of the mysteries of the Christian faith. We might do that next year.